Now, I don't know about all of you, but Thomas is one of my favorite disciples. And because he's one of my favorites, it bothers me a little bit that he doesn't have a great rap when it comes to Easter in the gospel stories. Based on this text, it sounds like Thomas may have missed Easter morning altogether. Just last week on Easter, we heard about the women at the tomb, the beloved disciple. But we didn't hear much about Thomas. Perhaps he was still in shock that Jesus had been publicly executed. Perhaps he was with his friends, processing the events of Palm Sunday, the parade, that awkward Monday Thursday dinner, or the public trial by Pontius Pilate. Maybe he was trying to figure out how his friend Judas could have betrayed them all by turning Jesus in. Or Thomas could have been sleeping in, for all we know. After all, he was grieving the death of a friend, and grief is exhausting. We don't know where Thomas was on Easter morning, but we do know from this text that he comes back days later to reunion with the other disciples. He's there, and by now he's heard that the women didn't find Jesus' body in the tomb. He's heard the story of Jesus being seen walking down the road with other disciples. He's heard the rumors of the resurrection. And it is during this reunion with the disciples that Jesus appears to them again. The man whom they had watched die joins them for an ordinary meal. And if that's not unbelievable enough, that a man who just died came for dinner, he entered the room through a locked door. And after seeing the shock on their faces, Jesus, in typical Jesus form, says, Peace, peace be with you. He calms yet another storm and yet again comforts his friends and skeptical followers. And even while Jesus is doing and saying the typical Jesus things that the disciples have witnessed before, Thomas seems to take it all in, skeptically, as some would say. And I'll give his critics the skepticism argument. But my question is, who wouldn't be a little skeptical of a man claiming to be someone you just watched die? So I'd like to argue that Thomas's response is more authentic, maybe, than some of the other disciples who immediately believed the story of the resurrection. Because Thomas, full of bravery and full of skepticism, says, okay then, let me see your scars. Prove you're the same Jesus I love. Prove you're the same Jesus I learned from, watched die, and am grieving. Prove this resurrection story isn't just a story. So Jesus does. Again, in typical meet-them-right-where-they-are fashion, Jesus offers to let Thomas examine his scars in order that he might gain the tangible proof that this is much more than a dream and much more than just a story. Jesus lovingly offers Thomas this proof and this love. And Thomas's belief is not only confirmed, but causes him to declare, my Lord and my God. Thomas's reaction is his own affirmation of faith. And this is one of my favorite scenes in the New Testament for many reasons. One of them being that no one else in John's gospel or the others ascribes this kind of divinity directly to Jesus 
as simply as Thomas does in his affirmation of faith. My Lord and my God proves to us that Thomas was the opposite of doubtful. My Lord and my God reminds us of what we were told by John on the very first page of his historical account. Because John begins by telling us that in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Thomas's affirmation of faith identifies who Jesus is, not only from his perspective, but from John's and from ours. For his disciples on this side of John's historical account, we profess to believe in the Word made flesh, who is indeed fully human and fully God. So I greatly appreciate that Thomas, the doubtful one, as some call him, is the first to declare on behalf of all of us throughout history, my Lord and my God. I love that in a way Thomas speaks for us, because I for one can't say that I wouldn't have asked Jesus for proof either. I don't know that I wouldn't have said, I want to believe you, but I watched you die, so show me your scars. I don't know that I would have believed the resurrection wasn't just a story either. What happens next in John's account is debated by scholars in terms of who Jesus is actually addressing. Because Jesus responds, Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Some argue Jesus is talking to Thomas and all of the disciples. Others argue that Jesus is speaking to all of us, disciples of every time and place throughout history. So if Jesus is speaking to the future generations including us, then we have all just received a blessing from the risen Christ himself. Because certainly none of us have actually seen Jesus in the flesh, yet we believe the resurrection and continue to gather together week after week to bear witness to it. We have not seen Jesus, but we have witnessed tangible new life through celebrating the birth of a child. We have not seen Jesus, but we have witnessed deep, tangible hope when the doctor declares cancer is in remission. We have not seen Jesus, but we have felt the palpable peace that comes from a loved one taking their last breath after a life so well lived. We have not seen Jesus, but we have felt the power of the tangible community of faith when we needed support and unconditional love the most. We have not seen Jesus, but we believe the story of the resurrection holds so much hope that it has to be told over and over and over again. I'd like to tell you the story of a woman named Carol. Carol had breast cancer for 30 years, and for 16 of those years, it was stage four. She was beyond brave and lived out her deep belief that as our confession of 1967 states, life is a gift to be received with gratitude and a task to be pursued with courage. She was a survivor at her very core and an inspiration to many. At the cancer center, one of her nurses called her the morale mascot. At her church, she was known as the deacon who sent cards and delivered flowers and visited hospitals because she would have done it whether she was a deacon or not. In her development work as director of major gifts, she was known as the woman who never asked for money but asked to thank her donors face-to-face. 
In the ICU, one of the nurses dubbed her the sassy patient with a family made of steel. She loved life, and she loved to love people. Many commented on the depth of her faith in God, and one even said, it's as if she's actually seen Jesus. During the last week of her life, she was radiant. She wasn't on any pain meds because she said she had no pain. She would take naps in her ICU bed and wake up and say she had been meeting with Jesus. One afternoon, she asked her nurse to pay to her oncologist, Dr. Joe, because she wanted to thank him. When Dr. Joe came to her ICU bed, she sat straight up, offered for him to sit down on the bed, took his face in her hands, and prayed with him. After praying, she said, Now I want to tell you about my healing. Now, Dr. Joe had been her oncologist for years, and when you have stage 4 cancer that long, you know your oncologist better than some extended family members. So this was not the first time Dr. Joe had taken orders from her or sat on her bed and simply listened. This was, however, the first time he heard her talk like this. She asked to see his eyes and went on to describe how Jesus had taken all of the cancer out of her body, placed it in a container, zipped it, locked it, and threw it over a cliff into the fire. Now, Dr. Joe, with wide eyes, full of tears, said, it's nothing but ashes now. I love it. She then said, so before I go home to rest and enjoy being cancer-free, I want to thank you for all you've done. I wanted to share my healing with you so you can share it with all of your other patients. It's a gift from God and it's mine to share. So you go. You go and you do great things. Now, needless to say, Dr. Joe was in shock, as was everyone standing around her bed. Her hospitalization had been sudden, and we had all just witnessed a resurrection. Fortunately, one of her pastors had come to the ICU right before Dr. Joe did, so she too witnessed this resurrection. She, of course, shared this story in Carol's memorial service as what better way to preach witnessing a resurrection than to use the, one, to use the words of the one who had been healed by Jesus. Many left Carol's memorial service proclaiming it was one of the truest witnesses to the resurrection they had ever seen. Some thought her pastor was crazy based on her telling of that conversation with Dr. Joe. Others thought all of us in that room were crazy for believing that she had been healed when a pathology report would probably still say stage four. And you know, I would think we were all crazy too, quite frankly, had I not witnessed it myself. As a hospital chaplain, I am no stranger to death. And while I believe all patients who die are resurrected, I had never actually watched the process of resurrection occur in that way. Because her death was so sudden, even after three decades of cancer, there were many at her funeral who kept saying they just couldn't believe it. For them, it wasn't the story of the resurrection that they couldn't believe, but the fact that she had actually died. And I can't help but wonder if her death was so unbelievable because her life was so well lived and her faith was so deep that she could tell the story of her own resurrection. I hope you know someone like that. I hope you know someone whose faith is that contagious and whose life is that well-lived. One of Carol's favorite prayers 
was this, and her pastor read it at her service. And it's in our book of occasional services, in our book of common worship. God who gave us birth, you are ever more ready to hear than we are to pray. You know our needs before we ask, and our ignorance in asking. Give us now your grace, that as we shrink before the mystery of death, we may see the light of eternity. Speak to us once more your solemn message of life and death. Help us to live as those who are prepared to die. And when our days here are accomplished, enable us to die as those who go forth to live, so that living or dying, our life may be in you, and that nothing, nothing in life or in death, will be able to separate us from your great love in Christ Jesus our Lord. Perhaps when that is your affirmation of faith, death is more unbelievable than the resurrection itself. As she continued to share the process of her resurrection during her last days, it was as if John's words in verses 30 and 31 unfolded before our eyes. Now Jesus did many other signs and healings in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing, you may have life in his name. Now, we have not seen Jesus, but we have witnessed tangible new life through celebrating the birth of a child. We have not seen Jesus, but we have witnessed deep, tangible hope when the doctor declares cancer is in remission. We have not seen Jesus, but we have felt the palpable peace that comes from a loved one taking their last breath after a life well lived. We have not seen Jesus, but we have felt the power of the tangible community of faith when we needed support and unconditional love the most. We have not seen Jesus, but we believe the story of the resurrection holds so much hope that it has to be told over and over and over again. And when we declare our Lord and our God, Jesus says, blessed are you who have not seen and yet come to believe. Blessed are you. Amen.